But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who has been crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place they laid him. Mark chapter 16, verse 6. Hey everybody, I'm Chris Dowd. And I'm Reagan Gilliland. And this is the Easter edition of Off Script Podcast, where every week we take a deeper dive on last Sunday's sermon, talk about the theology behind it, and get a chance to discuss anything that ended up on the cutting room floor. Super Bowl Sunday in the church, mm-hmm. biggest Sunday in the life of the church, most awesome Sunday in the life of the church, longest Sunday in the life uh, of the church. Yes, <laughs> it's long. Do you take a nap on, do you get to take a nap on Easter? I, fun fact, I cannot nap. I can't. Really? I, it's, it's not something I can What do. a sad life, Chris. I have a wonderful life. Thank <laughs> you very much. <laughs> but, uh, but that's one thing I cannot do. Um, also, fun fact, you're doing a, a marriage thing, a premarital thing. I am. So um, Whitney loves to nap, my wife. She is the crankiest human being on earth when she wakes up from a nap. And so early <laughs> in our relationship, she, uh, I'll tell her that this is going to be on the pod. Yeah, so I don't you probably in, should. So I don't get in trouble. But yeah. it's, it's something, this is advanced relationship skills. Okay. So early on in our relationship, she would say, hey, can you wake me up in 30 minutes? I'm like, yeah, sure, no problem. Oh, Mm-mm. it was bad. It was bad. So like, it, first of all, it, it takes like 10 iterations to wake her up from an app. Oh, Whitney and I lot. are the same. <laughs> and she's she, like, my wife is the most pleasant, most chill, just she is. A wonderful, wonderful human being. And unless you're trying to wake her up for a nap. And okay. So, anyway, um, so no, I don't nap, but I do just kind of lay around, and do nothing on, on Easter or Sunday afternoon. Yeah. It's one of my guys, favorite times. Do you guys do like a big dinner or anything? Or what do you, how do you handle that? Well, yeah. So it depends. You know, this is only our second year in Plano, and last year was really weird. Mm-hmm. So, uh, because we were home the whole day, and we just cooked, and we did a big thing, so we were home. Yeah. So, before, though, and for 10 years, for uh, first in Henrietta and then in Sherman, there were always congregation members that we were close with uh, who would invite us to, I guess this is an all-call for yeah. listeners to all the right. podcast, mm-hmm. who would invite us to uh, Easter Sunday afternoon extravaganza. And we actually got two of those invites for this week, but it's, you know, for this Easter, but we didn't do it. Yeah. Oh, they're putting Easter eggs out. I'm looking out the window and they're putting Easter eggs out by the fountain. Is that for the preschool or is yeah, that for the let's staff? Let's go take them. <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> so how about you? So I, yes, definitely nap. So for a few years, uh, Scott, my husband's grandmother who lives over at uh, Presbyterian Village North would always want us to do like Easter brunch at like, she's like, okay, you can either do the 11 or one. And I was like, well, neither of those times work. So, but we would run and get our kids, go at one, you know, our kid, like we only had Andy at the time. Like she'd want a nap. It was always so horrible. Yeah. I hated it. I'm exhausted. She's exhausted. But this year, um, Scott's family, his parents are going to cook and then bring it over. Hmm. And so, I'm totally get a nap. I love I love Easter. I mean, I love, Easter morning in the church is awesome. Um, and then in the afternoon, those ten years that we were um, in more rural settings, where um, like there's this culture in rural settings where you just you look out for the pastor. You know, you feed the pastor's mm-hmm. family, and it's it's really it's kind of a uh, culturally speaking, it's a really unique relationship between the pastor and the church. And uh, I used to, I mean, Easter afternoons were just wonderful because there would be these just wonderful spreads and everybody, 
loves having the pastor's family there and the kids were little and there was the Easter egg hunts and I just have nothing but fond memories about Easter. Mm. And last year was so weird. Yeah. I mean, it was just, I, it was weird for everyone to be home on Easter, but I don't think people fully understand how weird it is for a pastor to be home on Easter. Mm-hmm. And so um, it was unique, I guess, that, that we get, all got to be like sleep in and do Easter in our pajamas or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I like it the normal way. Yeah. <laughs> Where we're up here at six, getting ready for the sunrise service. There's back to back to back to back to back to back stuff going on. And then you're just, you know, toast at 1230. Mm-hmm. And you go do something with the family. It's great. Yeah. Okay. And how about growing up? Did you guys do any special Easter stuff going up, growing up? I think we did an Easter egg hunt at my grandmother's house. I'm trying to think. We I think we would go to church on Easter, at least some. Mm-hmm. We weren't like very devoted church people. I was raised Catholic, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, <laughs> if ever there was a holy day of obligation, Easter <laughs> is it, right? And so uh, my my most recurring memories, and I don't know how many years we actually did this, but uh, we often, in my memory, were in Indiana for uh, Easter, which is where my stepfather's family's from, Muncie. And so we would go to mass with a bit, you know, with the whole family, and then we would go back to Grandma's house. And uh, there would be a big spread. There'd be the Easter egg hunts. Like there was a time, a period of time where I got a a model every year for Christmas. And so my my stepfather and I would put together a a model, Hmm. which is kind of a really fond memory. Yeah. Um, But yeah, Christmas has always been awesome. And You mean Easter? Sorry. Yeah. Oh, look at that. That's Freudian. Christmas (laughs) is also awesome. Yeah. Easter (laughs) was also awesome. And um, I remember, I don't know if you remember, during... During Holy Week, it used to be the case that they used to show Jesus of Nazareth on TV, yeah, uh-huh. like the one with super white Max von Sydow, yeah. who was Easter, I mean, uh-huh. who was Jesus. Yeah. Um, that's actually a pretty good movie. <laughs> I mean, it's not really culturally appropriate, but yeah. uh, I mean, in terms of the representation, but um, anyway, I just, I've always loved Holy Week, Easter, I just, I'm all, I'm all bought in, mm-hmm. which is a good thing given our line of work. Yeah. That'd be a real downer <laughs> if you didn't like it. Right. So glad you're a big fan. Yeah. Thanks. Okay. Um, okay. So your sermon. So Easter, I've only had a preach. I've never done like a full Easter sermon. Mm-hmm. How do you feel when you have to like come around and write the Easter sermon? Because, you know, you've done it for many, many years. How do you make it fresh and exciting? I guess I've always wondered that. Um, yeah, I, that's a really good question. I, I think for for both Christmas and Easter, I feel the same way about this. There's extra pressure because you know there's going to be far more people there. Mm-hmm. But but more to the point, there's there are people there who are only ever there twice a year. Yeah. And so um, while I wish that was not the case, that is the reality. And I would rather them be in church twice a year than never. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think in some ways an Easter sermon is a little more complicated because you're you're uh, preaching to people who are deep insiders <laughs> who want to hear something fresh and then people who are borderline outsiders who um, who need to hear something relevant. And, and so I think it's, I think those sermons are a little more complicated. What I used to do on Easter uh, every year, and I think we will get back to it in a normal setting. I used to really cater that sermon, um, especially in, Sherman and Henrietta to the kids. <laughs> and so I would have like kind of pop culture references. Um, one year when the year the force awakens came out, which is the eighth star, star Wars movie. 
um, there was this really sense of nostalgia among Gen X, which is you know who I am with all and who had the kids really for the most part. Yeah. Uh, I mean, some younger parents as well, but we gave out Pez like Star Wars Pez dispensers, and so I, I tied in the sermon to children's time because I always did children's time when we were in Sherman and Henrietta. Um, one year I did a thing with Big Hero Six. One thing. One year I did a thing with uh, The Greatest Showman had just come out. Okay. I actually sang. You did. Yeah. From now on, you know the yeah. I mean, that's kind of a spoken song thing. Yeah, I, I could pull that off. In my opinion, okay. <laughs> we should end the podcast by you doing that. So, okay, continue. <laughs> that's a great. I mean, that was there's some good theology there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the year Captain Marvel came out, I did a thing with Captain Marvel. So, and and that one I connected to Mary Magdalene because um, Captain Marvel is the a woman who's, yeah. who's the most powerful superhero as she should be. Mm, yeah, just saying fair <laughs> and so um you know i so i i guess most preachers probably put a little more pressure on themselves for easter i, I mean i would say though if you can't get excited about a christmas and easter summer and you're probably in the wrong line of work <laughs> yeah i mean i just hate to be that blunt about it but that, no. i mean these these are that's this is the this is the core of the story and it it's a it's a good chance i think for all of us who um i mean i don't know if you feel this way but it's easy for pastors to kind of take for granted <laughs> the assumption like assumptions about our theology mm-hmm. um and we go especially as methodists we get to practical real like we're real practical theologians but then you know easter and christmas both they they are so um foundational that it's an opportunity for us to take a deep dive on why they matter mm-hmm. and connect them in a way that's relevant and so um you know i so at lover's line did you preach on easter so I did, I think, the sunrise service once or twice. And then I think Scott and I co-preached Easter maybe last year. I think we might have co-preached Easter a couple times, but I've never had, like, the full Easter gig, mm-hmm. which has been fine, yeah. you know. Yeah, I'm pretty sure y'all co-preached, because I think I watched you. Because this time last year, we knew you were coming, I believe. I or think, maybe I don't I, know, you might have known. I'm giving away secrets. I, I, I think I knew. <laughs> okay. Or maybe when we found out you were coming, I went back and okay. watched your Easter sermon. And I mean, we already knew each other from yes. uh, stuff around the conference, but I'm like, oh man, she's good. Well, I'm excited to have her on staff. So. Well, thanks. Hmm. Um, this is really random when you said Greatest Showman. So before my BOM interview, I listened to This Is Me <laughs> and the cat and the like cabin. Yeah. And, like psyched myself did up you? and did the Wonder Woman pose. You That's know, good. Supposed- it worked. It worked. Yeah, your interview was great. So, okay. So let's talk about your sermon. So you, you open up by talking about how you love unexpected endings, yeah. and you mentioned The Empire Strikes Back yeah. in The Sixth Sense, yeah. which my dad predicted The Sixth Sense. We started watching it, and like within the first like 10 minutes, he's like, I bet he's dead. I was what? like, what? <laughs> That's not fun. I know. And I'm actually hmm. pretty good at predict- hmm. predicting things like that. I did not get that one. Hmm. But what other... Um, books or movies with unexpected endings do you love <laughs> so something that ended up on the cutting room floor i also had the usual suspects in there and she's like you are totally dating yourself as like a stereotypical gen x guy because usual usual suspects was 95 okay. did you say have you seen i don't think so actually you've, seen, you've not so um it's got kevin spacey in it which is not great in retrospect given you know yeah. his issues but it's really creative okay and like it's a it's a, a whodunit 
and oh, it okay. builds and builds and builds and builds and then unravels quickly. It's really well done. Mm. But that's like four years before the Sixth Sense. And okay. so Whit and I were um, uh, trying to brainstorm something more relevant for younger yeah. folks um, since 99. Yeah. And I thought, well, is there a, like a Harry Potter thing? Like, is there? And she, so we couldn't think of anything that's like an iconic giant reveal. Yeah. Ashley, do you got something? I can't think of anything. I mean, there are some Harry Potter moments. Moments. Because I think the thing that came to mind when you said that for me is that luckily I had seen it before, but whenever I saw um, Half Blood Prince in theaters, Whoa. Right. What a power <laughs> Come down. on, man. No, that's good. That's good. Um, I don't, f- there are so many people who experience Harry Potter with their kids that I would not want to, I, I wouldn't put that in a sermon. No. Because that's a giant spoiler. I mean, yeah. I feel like 20 years ago, if you haven't seen The Sixth Sense by now, you're. Yeah. What are you doing with your life? Although, I, I guess I didn't, in the sermon though, I didn't actually make, I didn't actually reveal no. it. Uh-uh. No, I just you... referenced it. So anyway, yeah, I couldn't think of anything. I uh, I read the book Gone Girl. That one was that had some. Mm. I was like, whoa, whoa! Mm. It was that was a good book. I didn't see the movie, but I read the. It book. seems a little dark. It's uh, yeah, it's pretty dark. <laughs> I like those books though. That she wrote some good murder mystery books. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. So let's talk about okay. So the gospels are all slightly different in their telling of this event, similar to Christmas. Except not because there's only two gospels that talk about the birth narrative. Okay, so right. I mean, it's a, and there really is a fundamental difference. So yeah. the resurrection is the th- first thing we talk about. <laughs> like the passion story is the. I mean, it's not the first thing chronologically when you read the gospels, but the first thing that was written down was the passion story, which included the resurrection narrative. Okay, and had the resurrection not happened, it. I mean, we wouldn't have a story, mm-hmm. right? So uh, we lead with that. So I feel differently about the resurrection stories than I do about the birth narratives. And okay. everybody knows I'm, I love Christmas. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Matthew and Luke, if those stories weren't in there, like, we could do without, and I'm, I'm covering my heart here. Okay. Like, we could do without the birth narratives much easier than we could do without the resurrection narratives. Okay. Right. Yeah. So, um, Ashley and I were talking a little bit before we started recording, but so... Because there's different elements for like the birth and the resurrection, or she brought up like the creation story, how there's two versions, mm-hmm. like, and even throughout the Bible, when some events are repeated and there's things left mm-hmm. out, uh, what do you tell that to someone that's kind of a skeptic? Like, okay, well, I don't understand why are there different details? Which one's true? You know, like, how do you. <laughs> Which one's true? Yeah, like. Some people are like, well, I don't know. I feel like they just added that in, or should I believe that, or what does this all mean? Mm-hmm. So what would you t- tell someone that has struggles with that? So the, the struggle is that there are different details, that the details yeah. vary? I mean, I would say, and I, this comes up in Bible study a lot for me, mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a huge difference between historical fact and theological truth. Okay. A historical fact is the way something specifically unfolded. What were Jesus' last words from the cross? Mm-hmm. There, you only get one set of last words, uh-huh. right? Yeah. You only say one last thing. Right. But the Gospels have a variety of choices. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, does it make it not theologically true that Matthew and Mark say, it's my God, my God, 
why have you forsaken me? Mm-hmm. While in John, it's it is finished. Mm-hmm. Like the fact that they record different last words is that a problem? Mm-hmm. I mean, not for me. For me, it's it's the fact that those gospel authors were um, theologically interpreting different things through the meaning of the cross. Mm-hmm. And John, and I love John, my favorite gospel, he's chatty from the cross, <laughs> which is not likely. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that it's any less, less theologically true. Okay. And so with the resurrection, the point is that it happened. <laughs> mm-hmm. The details vary considerably from gospel to gospel. And, um, you know, the point that I was making in the sermon is the the most unexpected version, in my opinion, from our perspective as 21st century Christians is Mark's because mm-hmm. the women run away in terror. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the last line is they don't tell anybody right. because they're afraid. Uh huh. That's how it ends folks. That's, that is how the original ending of Mark uh-huh. um, wrapped up the story. And that's not the story we expect when we come to Easter, come to Easter morning. No. Now later, later editors, like this is this is the other distinction I would make. There is the the Holy Spirit, like the there's the uh, the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit speaking through these authors. That's making theological points, and then there's the agenda <laughs> and interests of the authors themselves, mm-hmm. and uh, sometimes those are perfectly in sync, and sometimes I would argue that they're kind of at odds. Okay. God's not going to tell women to shut up in church, but that shows up in Paul. Mm-hmm. God's not going to say slaves obey your masters, but that's part of the household codes of the Roman Empire. And so the the church felt like it had to accommodate the current culture for everybody who freaks out about cultural accommodation. It's right there in the Bible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so we have to understand that scripture has a lot of humanity in it, um, as well as all the divinity that we need for our relationship with God. Okay. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, can you remind uh, listeners, you know, each gospel kind of has a different audience. Mm-hmm. What was the audi- original kind of audience? Can you go through those? Oh, for each gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so Marx is the earliest, and that's probably mid-60s. We should also keep in mind that's 30 years. I mean, that's a full <laughs> generation after the resurrection. And he's writing to... Um, like, like when you, what we know, what we know about Mark's gospel is it's the most simplistic, grammatically, it's the most rough. Um, it's very much focused on the meaning of the cross, which leads us to imply, or leads us to, um, and uh, think that his Mark's uh, audience was suffering in some way. Okay. <clears throat> Matthew's gospel cares the most about the interpretation of the scriptures, the Old Testament, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which okay. leads to some interesting stuff. Yeah. Um, and so m- most scholars would argue that Matthew was primarily writing to a Jewish Christian audience that yeah. cared a lot about that. Mm-hmm. Luke's audience um, doesn't really so much care about the interpretation of the Hebrew scriptures, except in the context of the broad scope of human history. And so most people... Most scholars, I would say, and I should say, when I say most scholars, I mean most scholars at Methodist read, okay. um, would assume that he's writing primarily to a Gentile audience. And a, a cool way that we parse this is 
when you do um, when you read Matthew's uh, genealogy of Jesus, it goes back to Abraham. Mm-hmm. When you read Luke's genealogy of Jesus, it goes back to Adam. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and Luke wrote a whole second book, Acts. Yeah. And then John um, is the la- is the latest of the Gospels. So I didn't give you the timing. So Mark is like in the mid sixties. Um, Matthew and Luke were probably 80 to 90, something like that. So 10, 20 years plus after Mark. And then John is the latest, probably late 90s, not completed until the early second century. And um, that he, his audience seems to have been uh, a group of, of Jesus followers who were being kicked out of the synagogue or had a recent memory of being kicked out of the synagogue. And so you get this uh, really... I mean, we would say anti-Semitic uh, uh, language, like he calls the Pharisees. He says their father is the devil. I mm-hmm. mean, there's really some bad stuff in John, um, reflective of the emotional intensity of being kicked out of the only of, of, of your spiritual home. Yeah, which leads to some. You know, civil wars are always the worst ones. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so different audience. And you kind of talked about this. So Mark ends abruptly because there's a little bit more focus on the cross, I guess. Um, so I was wondering if you could share, like, what was the, you know, is there a further point Mark was trying to make with that ending? Like, was it what was it supposed to inspire people to go do? Yeah, that's a complicated question. <laughs> <laughs> so I would say that Mark's entire gospel is about uh, making sense of, uh, suffering and um, and how Jesus' ministry fits in a world where forces of darkness, evil, uh, seem to have the upper hand. Okay. And so, like, exorcisms play a big role in Mark disproportionately uh, to the other Gospels. Um, the, there's a, like, there's a, some people, some scholars have described Mark as a as an extended passion narrative with a brief introduction. Okay. <laughs> like his ministry doesn't. I think it, the passion narrative begins in chapter ten. Let's see. Yeah. So in Mark's gospel, the entry into Jerusalem is in the eleventh chapter. <laughs> Palm Sunday is in the eleventh chapter of sixteen chapters. Yeah. <laughs> now there's just some teaching and stuff that happens sure. that last week, but uh, the turn towards the the end game. He's pop culture reference. We <laughs> watched it, it. We watched Endgame last week. Okay. Um, it comes very early. And so un- unpacking the cross is a really big part of that story. And that abrupt ending, I think, <laughs> we just for Mark's audience, Mark's audience obviously knows that they didn't not tell anyone. Yeah. But I think the message that that, last verse sends or that the way that resurrection story is told sends is that um like god breaking into a world that's full of darkness and and um suffering and pain and redeeming that is a it's kind of a traumatic event mm-hmm. right and the fact that he was raised and he doesn't appear in the resurrection um leaves a very open-ended message for us to respond to like the the other gospels just do a, a are much more interested in, in um 
in completing that story mm-hmm. before we make the turn to the church. Mark leaves it much more open-ended. Yeah. And for a, a community that's experiencing suffering and persecution, uh, not in a dissimilar way to what Jesus did, um, it's almost like an affirmation that 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 we're going to respond to that, that, that that's fearful. That's that it's understandable that that causes fear and confusion and disruption. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately we know that Jesus redeemed that. Yeah. And so our community in the mid sixties, in the midst of the Jewish war, we don't have Jesus here. Mm-hmm. And yet we know that, um, the power of the resurrection lives within each of us. Um, so it's startling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I remember when I was in seminary, I, I always give Mark's gospel a hard time. I don't like Mark's gospel all that much. There's a great book about this. I, I taught Mark a few years ago through, um, there's a book called Mark as Story that actually gives, a, in my opinion, a more helpful way of reading the narrative. Uh, he's actually a better storyteller, I think, than we give him credit for. Okay. That was the, the point of this book, which I've I thought was convincing, mm-hmm. but I think the fact that I am not in a place of persecution and suffering mm-hmm. affects how helpful I find this gospel to be. Yeah, I mean, I think if we were Chinese Christians, you know, living under the thumb of communist rule, we might identify more closely with Mark's gospel. I'm reading the cross and lynching tree by James Cone and um, really getting a new appreciation for the Good Friday aspect of our theology and how for suffering peoples, the meaning of the cross is much more personal yeah. than for me. Mm-hmm. I, I tend to go right to Easter. I mean, I prefer either the resurrection to the cross. Yeah. And, that, you know, there's personal reasons for that. There's theological reasons for that. But I think for, for suffering people, um, I think Mark resonates better. Mm-hmm. I, I go to John, the spiritualized kind of intellectual gospel, uh, friendly Jesus and Luke's <laughs> gospel. Matthew, you know, if I'm ranking him, he's always third on the list because of all those teachings, you know, sermon. Wrap it up. Wrap it up. (laughs) Yeah. I think people forget, you know, I mean, Mark is short and brief because, you know, Matthew ends with the Great Commission, like go in the world. And like when you, I think people forget that Mark ends the way it does. And the the others are like, okay, here's what you're going to do. Here's Mm -hmm. the game plan team. Right. And then up I go. (laughs) Like no, Mark, that's right. Mark is so incredibly different, mm-hmm. and yeah, and similar. They just talked about. I feel like there's a, you know the one of the missions was like okay now it's your responsibility you you go tell people mm-hmm. like don't live in the fear. I mean withhold that and know that that like you said it was confusing disruptive, but then you go and you go tell people. I think people overlook how abruptly Mark ends because of the tacked on stuff at the end. Yeah. Which I mean, if you haven't opened your Bible, open it, and then you can see, like, yeah. it will say, like, this was added. <laughs> yeah. Here's how you know if you have a good Bible. Okay. <laughs> if the little weird half verse between, that's not a half verse, it's like, it's two full sentences between verses eight and nine. If that's not in parentheses for you, you probably need a new Bible. <laughs> Guess I should go look at my NLT, see what it says. <laughs> you probably should. Did you know <laughs> Stephanie gave me a hard time the week we did her podcast? She's like, NLT? And I was like... <laughs> appropriately all right i'm team stephanie on that one there you go and then the longer ending to mark should also be in the parentheses because the earliest manuscripts clearly end at the end of verse Mm -hmm. eight 
So verse eight says, so they went out and fled and fled from the tomb, <laughs> fled from the yeah. tomb for terror and amazement had seized them. And, you know, there's some fun Greek stuff we could do there. And they had said nothing to anyone for, and they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. Right. Mm-hmm. And then in the fourth century AD, fourth century, that's in the 300s. So 300 years after this was written. Somebody added, and all that had been commanded them, they told briefly to those around Peter. And afterward, Jesus himself sent sent out through them from east to west the sacred and imperishable proclamation of eternal salvation. (laughs) BT dub. (laughs) That's terrible. That is awful. Like, that is some monk sitting in the year 350 saying, wow, we can't end with that. Yeah. So he adds these words that Mark would never use. The imperishable proclamation of eternal salvation. Oh, my God. So then... Um, there's a longer ending of Mark that was actually added in the, in the sometime in the second century, so about a hundred years after he wrote. And in this longer ending, mm-hmm. it's like this this later editor had read the other Gospels, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is probably exactly what happened. Uh-huh. And so, oh wait, he's got to appear to Mary Magdalene like John has, so that's in there. Yeah. Um, and then we get the seven demons thing and Mary Magdalene. And, and then, uh, oh, he appears to two disciples in verses 12 and 13. Um, and then there's like a weird snake thing in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> One more time. Later he appeared to the 11 themselves as they were sitting at the table. And he upbraided them for their lack of faith and stubbornness because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the good news of the whole creation. So clearly he's read Matthew, right? Yeah. The one who believes and is baptized will be saved, but the one who does not believe will be condemned. Um, Okay. And these signs will accompany those who believe. By using my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes in their hands. (laughs) And if they drink any deadly thing, it will not hurt them. What? Like It's like they're magicians or something. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. And then there, and then he adds the ascension at the end, yeah. verse 19 and 20. So it's like... Um, a bad plagiarism job. It's, like. it's not good. It's not good. <laughs> it's not good because it, it's inconsistent with the way... I mean, it's yeah. not that any of those things are bad in and of themselves. It's sure. just it's inconsistent with what Mark has said prior to this. And, you know, I mean, I, this is like the, the tacked on ending in Job where... I mean, the end of Job, the point of Job is that we don't always get to know why bad things happen to good people. Mm-hmm. And then some editor somewhere along the way is like, well, wait a minute, that kind of sucks for Job. So then they <laughs> <laughs> he gets all of his stuff back times two or three. Yeah. Which undermines the point of oh, what the story. author was trying to say. And, and so uh, I feel like we need to honor Mark's original intent, which is that, you know what? Sometimes this life of faith is challenging and confusing and fearful mm-hmm. and... Um, Mark's audience clearly 30 years later knows that the women said something to someone that they didn't stay freaked out Mm -hmm. but um, that's probably an appropriate response Mm -hmm. to to, uh, on the third day after your Lord and Savior was crucified he disappears Mm -hmm. and you don't get to see him again yeah yeah because losing a body at this time like for the like, I mean, preparing a body was very important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was you know some cultural stuff there about um, the tomb was kind of the. Um, I mean, it depends on if you're talking about specifically Jewish theology and what 
what brand of Jewish mm-hmm. Jewish theology in the first century versus the cultural influences of what everybody else thought happened after you died. Um, but I mean, care for the dead mm-hmm. is a, is an important thing. Yeah. And so, Mar- as the story goes, and this is consistent with all the gospels, um, the you ha- he could not like you can't care for the dead on the Sabbath, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's all these laws about that. Right. So they hastily put him in the tomb before sundown on Friday. And Sabbath goes sundown to sundown, but you're not going to go in the middle of the night to a mm-hmm. tomb and take care of it. So the, as soon as they could, they go back to the tomb to anoint his body for burial. Yeah. Now, theologically, that anointing had already happened at Bethany. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a part of the story, the, the passion story. And so it was an unnecessary step. His body was pre-anointed for burial, which is a whole sermon <laughs> series in and of itself. But they're doing what they think is the right thing to do sure. to honor him. And him not being there is is a big deal. And and it's, what's interesting is the stranger they encounter. So in, um, in Matthew, the stone is still in front of the tomb when they show up. And there's this big earthquake. <laughs> this is like a Cecil B. DeMille movie. <laughs> and the angel descends from heaven. Mm-hmm. And he rolls back the tomb and he sits on it. Well, that's clearly God doing that, right? That's yeah. an angel descending from heaven. In Luke, they go into the tomb, and it's empty. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, these two two men in dazzling clothes appear to them and startle them, understandably. Right. But the dazzling clothes imply that something divine is going on mm-hmm. here, plus the fact that they just appear. Yeah. Um, in In Mark's gospel, they walk in, and there's just a dude sitting there. <laughs> Where Jesus was. So as as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe. He didn't just suddenly appear. He's already there. Mm-hmm. Sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. So it's Mark's version of this is much more tactile and has less of the, of the uh, kind of glory of divinity wrapped around it. Yeah. Which is another way that it's a starker narrative than the other two, uh, the other three. Yeah. Okay. So you kind of touch on, you know, we've lived in this weird time that we've had kind of a lot of confusion and fear. And so what was kind of your main point um, or wisdom to give as we were coming out of this pandemic and all of that? Um, so what I did with it was to compare the, like the, the phrase that I keep that I used over and over again was disorientation and disruption. Mm-hmm. So the the women who show up at the tomb had experienced that to a high degree in a compressed amount of time from mm-hmm. Good Friday to like they, the last thing they were expecting a week prior when he enters into Jerusalem triumphantly is that by the end of the week he'll be dead. Mm-hmm. And then the last thing they expected after that was that he would be resurrected, right? Even though there were there's insinuation along the way. So um so I compared their sense of disruption and disorientation to ours over the past year and all the stuff that's happened over the past year. Um, and so on one hand, I can relate to them more than I could before. Normally, like an Easter Sunday is just kind of the culmination of awesomeness. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why I like to read the story about Mary Magdalene and Jesus' a real pastoral story from John. Um, where she mistakes him for the gardener and he's like, don't cling to me. I mean, it's just a beautiful yeah. story um, because I'm not in a place of disorientation and disruption normally, mm-hmm. but that's where we've been. 
And so I can relate to them more, but, but more importantly, and more to the point, theologically, I know what happens next. (laughs) I know they don't stay there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I know that things actually do get better for them and for the world as a result of this thing that's happened. And so even though to me as a 21st century Christian who doesn't experience much disorientation and disruption, typically, um, that would be an unexpected ending. Actually, it actually was not unexpected Mm -hmm. for them. Right for Mark, I mean, this is the logical conclusion yeah. of this strange set of events. Um, but, but much more to the point, what comes next is good. So, I kind of tied that into the the hope that we're experiencing right now. Yeah, I think for me, I, um, just thinking about how the beginning of the pandemic, like there was so much confusion. It was disorienting. Like I don't know what to do or how to spend my time or like it was just, it was weird. But. Um, but you can't stay in that place. And I think that's something about these women. Like you can't stay in that confusion and figure like, you know what Christ has taught you and how to live. Like you can stumble around for a little bit and then let's go. And, um, and so I think this past year has been a time, I think uh, of growth for a lot of people and a lot of change. And so hopefully we're not in the same place as we were a year Mm -hmm. ago. And I think that's just kind of the, the, the life you live with Christ, like you don't remain the same or ever changing your, as Methodist, you know, we're on this process of sanctification. So, I mean, it is a really, it is an abrupt ending, but it's a beautiful, like, okay, all right, don't stay where you are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it is, a, it's a good one. I, think. I, I mean, I think it's a, I like the affirmation that even the first witnesses to the resurrection were off, off were caught off guard. Mm-hmm. Um, and it didn't all wrap up neatly with a bow. Yeah. That night, Jesus shows up and gives you the Holy Spirit. That's John's version. Mm-hmm. We don't know how long it took. <laughs> we don't know how long it took for them to get their footing. We don't know when they finally told somebody. We don't know when they, how they came to grips with it. We know they did. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we all kind of need that that emotional affirmation from time to time. This year's been hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Our pre-meeting questions. Um, you would ask like early on, like think back to a, a year ago, mm-hmm. the idea of my children not going back to school, <laughs> I, I, I never would have been able to wrap my head around that when we went to spring break because that raises fundamental questions about how do you educate your kids? Like, what is it to educate your children? What is yeah. it that's required? Do you even have the, the, uh, expertise to help them do that? <laughs> well, I mean, th- when in truth <laughs> for most of human history, <laughs> We've just taught our kids, right? <laughs> um, so rethinking those core things. Um, like, what do you mean I have to wear a piece of cloth over my face every time I go out? Like, how do I not look somebody in the eye? Mm-hmm. What do you mean I can't go to the store? Like, this, this, these kind of ground, this fundamental ways in which we had to rethink a whole bunch of things, mm-hmm. albeit temporarily. But what temporarily looks like now, you know, this has been one year out of 50 for me. Yeah. But at the at the time, we thought it was going to be Two weeks, right? Two weeks mm-hmm. to flatten the curve. It's mm-hmm. a good one. <laughs> it's a great idea. Um, but the whole year's been disoriented. And then and then the point I made in the sermon was then we had George Floyd's murder. I'm going to call it a murder. Mm-hmm. So then we're in the middle of the trial. It looks pretty clear to me still. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you had uh, the election was a total train wreck and then with January 6th at the Capitol. And then <laughs> in the state of Texas, we lost 
power and water for a week what are you talking about yeah. because of ice like it's just one thing after another um but we know like we're we're on the other side of that now <laughs> and things are going to start getting better um and you know the the glimpse that i referred to in the sermon was how palm sunday was yeah. a little a little bit back to normal i mean yeah. it was 250 people here the but number it, was 250 at 11 o'clock yeah which is half of what a normal sunday would that service would be yeah. on a normal Sunday. But it felt like a million people but to us. But it felt like <laughs> the world was back to normal. Yeah. Um, and I don't, maybe it was a year before the women actually made sense of anything. Mm-hmm. We don't know. Yeah. I mean, the other gospels would say no. Mm-hmm. But may, uh, the, those early days of the church are, are very cloudy. We don't know exactly how all that happened. We don't know exactly when disciples got it together and started healing people and stopped hiding. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, again, we've got acts that tells us the 50th day. I mean, I, I'm familiar with all those details, but, <laughs> but we don't have like a historical record. There was no biographer there. There was no newspaper there. Yeah. And so the fact that Mark leaves us with this open-ended, um, like the, the promise is that we know how it ends, but the open-ended sense of um, confusion it's really a compelling story. Like I've talked myself into Mark's actually pretty good. I mean, he's still going to be always fourth on my gospel ranking power rankings. Okay. But, um, there's a, there's a lot to offer here. And especially this year, you know, I think it's pretty, it's a pretty compelling story. Mm -hmm. So what do you feel like, what is a resurrection teaching you that's new this time around? I know you might've kind of said it, but you know, I think that, I think at the end of this particular year, um, We've all had resurrection moments in our lives where we've had to come back from grief or loss or some kind of suffering or pain or whatever. But usually those are like an event. You know, we lose someone we love or, uh, for you know, for somebody battling an addiction that that's probably, you probably have a clearer view of resurrection maybe than, than somebody who doesn't. Um, but I think, I think the scale here is what's different for me. I mean, all, all the all the ways that we need new life to come to to show up, like all the, I guess what I'm saying is resurrection is less of a metaphor for me now Yeah. at the end of this year and more of a reality. And um, I mean, this whole podcast, I've been looking through the window at the uh, courtyard out there at the Easter egg hunt. A year ago, we were all locked down, hiding, scared, not know, thinking the world was going to come to an end. Yeah. Um, and now, look, kids in the Easter bunny <laughs> ears and their flowers, you know, blooming out there. And um, God makes all things new. That's what, that's kind of God's thing. Mm-hmm. And I think at the, end of, at the end of the year we've just had, that is more real, I think, for many of us, certainly for me, than, um, than maybe it has been in the past. I mean, it's one thing for my lawn to come back from winter <laughs> every year. I yeah. mean, that's, but... For us to be, you know, we're, we've got all these repairs going around, going on at the church because of the storm. Um, we're we're starting to gradually see more people on campus. Um, the world is starting to open up, even though you know we've, there's new strains and cases and stuff like that. But it it feels like we're in the midst of a rebirth mm-hmm. in some ways, and uh, that's a real positive thing. Yeah, I totally agree. Okay, thanks all I have for you. Well, happy Easter. Happy Easter.
Easter season lasts how long? Quiz, pop quiz. Uh, till Pentecost. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the fiftieth day. So we have this long season now. This coming week in worship, the youth are leading. Mm-hmm. I am personally invested in that because I have a youth that's helping lead. He's playing Amazing Grace on his French horn, which I'm pretty excited about. I've heard it a lot around the house. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm anxious to hear it in worship. And then after Youth Sunday, which also will have confirmation, mm-hmm. by the way, lots of baptisms and kids joining the church, which is great. Um, then we have a new sermon series called Faith Matters? Question mark. Yes. So what's that sermon series about? So we'll be in the book of Acts, mm-hmm. but we're looking um, at co- like the, I don't know, the foundational faith things we talk about, but um, the spin on it is we're looking at different theologians. So the first week is Augustine, and then I get a little hazy there after that. Yeah, 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 that's right. So the, we're trying to answer the question, okay, Jesus is resurrected, mm-hmm. and we're all coming back to church and we're living our lives as faithful Christians, but why does Christianity matter at all? Yeah. So telling the story, like the book of Acts is the early years of the church trying to figure out what our theology is. And then we've got this, like, as you said, this, uh, each week we're going to focus on a different theologian that, that highlights different aspects of, the, of Christian theology. Mm-hmm. And so um, we have some women, mm-hmm. who are, uh, women theologians. We have um, James Cohn we're going to be exploring uh, Francis and Claire. Yeah. So it's going to be good. I'm excited about it. Me too. All right, y'all. We hope you had an awesome, awesome Easter. Uh, we hope you are experiencing resurrection and new life in in your world, just like we are here uh, on campus around the church. And we are looking forward to being back with you in two weeks for the first sermon of our Faith Matters question mark series. God bless. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Offscript. It was hosted by Reverend Chris Dowd and Reverend Reagan Gilland. Produced by Ashley Danner as a part of the Christ United Podcast Ministries. You can visit cumc.com backslash podcasts in order to see all of the series we have available. Like, subscribe, and follow us so that you don't miss a single episode. Thank you for supporting us. Have a great week.